Hello, and welcome to the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sorodin, and I'm here today with my buddy, Glenn. Hey, Glenn. How you doing, Jason? And our special guest, Mr. Sam Hales from Saratoga Group. How are you, Sam? Doing great, uh, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, well, I'm really excited to talk to Sam today um, because, Sam, I think you just said you own 48 parks total right now? That, that's the current number, 48. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're going to focus today uh, on the skills needed when owning a mobile home park and why I think that's a good one to tackle with these two guys is I don't think there's two guys who've owned <laughs> more parks that I've ever talked to. So I'd like to really hit on that. But first, I want to do two things. Glenn, I want to see what's going on in your world. What's shaking? Uh, this week's been a tough week. We, you know, we got a lot of owners freaking out because of the cold weather and stuff. You know, like a lot of pipes have busted this week. I don't know, Sam, if you've had that experience yet. <laughs> but yeah, that's been, you know, a, a lot that we've been dealing with. We've been doing a tremendous amount of valuations and we're inches away from putting two monster portfolios under contract. And that's very exciting. And, you know, we're already we're already doing just a, a, an intense amount of evaluations for park owners. It seems like a lot of people are really thinking about selling this year. And a lot of people thinking about buying their their first park this year. So we, 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 we've been talking through a lot of, you know, from beginning to start or from start to finish type of issues. And it's been a very interesting week for sure. With the with the ice stuff, I mean that's that sounds like a <laughs> nightmare. A, a nightmare. Sam, what are you dealing with, and like how does that work? Because now that now you got me freaking out about ownership again because <laughs> that sounds horrible. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you, you know, you buy in Texas and the southeast, so you don't have to worry about snow, and that's out the window, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, all I mean, almost all our parks, other than the ones in Florida, have snow on them right now. Um, yeah, we we uh, we had a uh, some busted pipes, uh, a main a main line in uh, one of our communities up in Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, you know, just places where they're not as prepared for snow, yeah. really. And so, so in I, some I, ways, I, that's more problematic than than uh, Illinois, where it's like, well, yeah, we deal with this. Where you're used to it, yeah. You know, it's yeah. The, the, a park that I used to own, Eastern Tennessee. It gets cold, you know. It gets we get snow every now and then, but. Sometimes it, it gets real cold and, uh, you know, the, the skirting on these units, you know, these 1970s, 80s and 90s type of units, it's just, it's like, you know, a 24th inch, you know, what, you know, thick piece of vinyl and, yeah. uh, and, and those pipings that are under there never had to worry about it. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 on, under every trailer it was the bane of my existence when a cold <laughs> coming through. Cause I was an owner operator, right? So I was under those trailers myself, yeah. you know, doing that and, Man, what a pain in the butt! And you know, my guys in Texas right now—they're—they're they're having significant issues. <laughs> they're like, we—we we thought we were gonna have, you know, some, you know, but be ready to do something here soon. But hey, give us, give us another 30, 60 days. It's like it, it takes a minute to get those 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 leaks all fixed out. Yeah, how days. does that how does that work, Sam? Does does the does insurance cover that stuff? Are you guys coming out of pocket for that? How's that work? Well, I mean, I can tell you, like the one in in Louisville, this happened over the three day weekend. Our, our, our whole company had president's day off. Uh, but, uh, but our manager up there in Louisville didn't have it off and neither did our maintenance crew. Cause they were, I, I could show you some pictures though. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we had to, we had to saw cut out, 
a big concrete slab to get down there. Um, and they were out there in the freezing weather and the snow fixing that thing. And, uh, it's a sort of, it's a sort of thing where, man, that emergency plumbing repair on a three day weekend, like you'll pay through the nose for a plumber. Right. So, so we really appreciate, uh, when team members step up like that and she would just champion the whole thing and, and, uh, She's getting a nice little bonus for that. But anyway, <laughs> but who, who pays for it? Is it covered by insurance? Uh, I, no. Not most of the time. I mean, no. Really? Yeah, most of the time you're going to eat the cost and do it yourself. Oh. And most of the owner operators out there are definitely eating the cost and doing it themselves and climbing under trailers for the next two weeks, putting everything back together. And really? you know, the, the, the insurance thing is you, you don't want to mess with a, a deductible on no. what is ultimately a small expense, you know, from a capital cost. You know, compared to what the premium goes up, and then you know, and like a tornado, like a tornado ripping through it, very different. Very different. Yeah, 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 you know, this, yeah for sure. So this so, is a big pain in the butt. That's that's all it, it amounts to be. It's <laughs> like uh, everybody's gonna be aggravated for the next couple of weeks, and there's gonna be tenants without water. Yeah. You know, for you know, hopefully not more than a week, but uh, it's hard to fix. You know, broken pipes and frozen weather. It's very hard yeah. to fix broken pipes and frozen weather. So. Uh, Sam, tell me about your journey. How'd you get into this business? Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those where it's like, it should have started earlier. Right. Um, because I, I was, so I started Saratoga group 10 years ago and initially we were doing single family homes. Uh, that was out here in the California kind of greater Bay area, Sacramento area. And we were doing, it was really affordable housing. I mean, we were buying, lower end homes and, and fixing them up, buying them right after, after everything had crashed and that sort of thing. And it, it was really a cash flow play. I did that for a number of years. And, and then once prices had kind of appreciated, we were, we were looking for the next thing and kind of tinkered around it, did, did a little bit of office, did a little bit of, uh, well, a number of land entitlement and kind of infill development uh, sorts of projects and, but really was looking for something that would do well in all sorts of economic cycles. And actually our banker, uh, turned us on to mobile home parks, which is an interesting, right? It was, and this is five-star bank, Glenn, you might be uh, familiar with them. They do a lot in MH space. And, and, uh, I'd been a customer of theirs for, for a while for like a portfolio of homes and different things. And they said, hey, Sam, we really like working with you, but we really like mobile home parks. I mean, you know, this other stuff, that's fine. But if you buy some of those, like, we'll, we'll go finance them for you. And, um, and, that, and that, you know, and then I started Why did they like them? It. What was it about that drew them to them? Yeah, so it's funny because banks generally, and, and this is changing, but generally really don't like mobile right. park, right? Just because it's like, I mean, you think about a banker, it's like they're sitting in their office and they got their shirt and tie on and their nice shoes. Especially five to they 10 don't, years they ago. Don't, yeah. They don't mind walking through an office building. It's like, Hey, I could, I could work here. Or I can, you know, I understand this. Like for them to walk into a mobile home park, they're like, you know, that that's not them. Right. So, so, so mo- most of them didn't re- really like it, but the banks that understood it knew that like default rates were the lowest on mobile home parks of any sort of commercial real estate. So there was kind of this handful of banks, I think really understood the business and loved the business. And five star was one of them. 
but as Glenn can tell you, I mean, there's more and more banks jumping in all the time, and because they see there's a lot of a lot of lenders out nowadays that are doing a lot of community banks that are definitely jumping on board nowadays. You know, for some of the non-agency deals. You know, they, so so Sam, were you already doing national uh, purchasing with with all the single-family homes and stuff, or is that all local to California? That was all local to California. Yeah. yeah. So so I mean, it was it, everything changed for us. In fact, we, we actually bought our first park in here in California, but. I mean, we're not buying anything else in California. We're we're, right, trying to right. sell. we're selling California, buying Alabama. How's that? Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, we're, seeing, we're seeing that trend happen, you know, like across the board. It's, uh, yeah. it's interesting. It's All interesting. right, guys. Uh, so I want to get into now uh, some educational stuff for our listeners. And I, I want to tap into you guys to understand what you think the most important skills needed when owning a mobile home park. And you know, just off the top of my head, the things that come to my mind that would be really useful from, you know, when we talk to Ryan and them um, about getting, having a good uh, handyman skills and, you know, not being afraid to get your hands dirty. And to, it seems like you also have to be kind of not afraid of conflict. So those are like been my two big takeaways, which are very different than other businesses I'm involved in. So guys, if you could help us out, help us understand what we're going to need to have. Okay, so so I'll, I'll take a crack at it here. So Jason, I think some of the things like you're talking about, for example, I'm not, I'm not real handy. <laughs> if, something, if something breaks at home, my wife doesn't say, hey, sweetie, she goes and does it herself. She's actually yeah. very handy. So yeah, <laughs> anyway, same that's a whole here. other story. Yeah, so... Uh, but 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 the point is, yeah, having people on your team, like we just talked about the, the broken water line in Louisville and the fact that our manager and, and maintenance guy just jumped in and made it happen. Like, like otherwise, that was a super expensive endeavor. And so you're right, like having that on the team is, is critical. Um, obviously, with 48 communities, I, I wouldn't be in a position to be very hands-on anyway, right? So we, right, yeah. we have those skills in the company. I would say the biggest thing for from my perspective, and, and this is what I explain to people is, unlike other commercial real estate, mobile home parks are really a lot closer to running a business than they are to owning commercial real estate. Yep. So. Wow, I like be, that. Yeah, to be successful, it's not, I mean, you obviously have to buy right. And, you know, I mean, so those kind of foundational fundamental things, but you can make up for other mistakes by operating well and and operations to me it's almost i mean i don't know what the percentage is but it's a huge percentage of your success in this space so so just to give you an example um we've purchased a number of communities where the previous owner was pretty hands-off i mean you know maybe they lived remotely or, or but they just they didn't really enforce rules they relax about people parking on the grass or having their places skirted or all of those things, they might not seem like a big deal, but, but what happens is once you're not in charge, meaning the owner isn't in charge, it's affordable housing. Somebody's in charge, right? And, it, and it's probably not who you want to be in charge in that community. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it's like the, the middle school playground is what yeah. it is. So so we, we just, what we found is, man, if we go in and we're like, 
it's like being a parent, you know, you're nice, but you're firm. It's like, these are the rules and, and this, there's no exceptions. I mean, you just like, these are the rules. And, and what we found is if we do that and we consistently, that's what we're trying for. Um, that's when we have success. Is that's how you turn the park. It, it really comes down to those park managers. Those guys work their tails off to be able to, you know, a good manager is, is, is really worth their weight. And, uh, it's a make or break for a lot of parks. So, you know, from, a skill needed, you know, is management skills, operational skills. That that's going to make or break the business. You know, if you're a hands-on owner operator like I was, it's it's a it's a different animal, and you are getting greasy. You are climbing under trailers, and you are doing the accounting, and you are doing the evictions, and you are doing all the little nitty-gritty minutia. It's it's a it's a different animal, Jason. You wouldn't be at all wanting to be in that world. You know, uh, yeah, his world sounds Sam, awesome. I want exactly that. Exactly how Sam does it. You know, <laughs> is kind of your, you know, kind of the grand scheme for you eventually if, if if you go this direction. And when we had Ryan and uh, Ian on, uh, you know, a couple of times now, you know, we've watched them grow up a little bit through, you know, through how they've done it, where they used to be very hands on, and they've moved more and more into the operational side and managing the business side because. Once you cross a certain threshold, you you really are managing a business here. It takes, you know, it 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 it, it takes all your gumption and all your know-how just to run the business. You don't have time for all the, the little things to dealing with. So it falls on your managers and getting great managers at the right parks. And you know, when you find the good one, that's that you want to hold on to them. I, you know, when I finally found a good park manager, I swear to God, the guy was 78 when I hired. Okay. <laughs> 78. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I, you. I, I heard yeah. you talking about that, Glenn, on, on the podcast. He's yeah, still around crazy. managing the park for the current owner. Okay. And that, you know, like, it, it, like that's crazy. Right. And, and, but he's so good at what he does. Like it made my life, you know, easy, much, much easier. I love that. Because, good people are the most important. What, what he was, you know, needed to be, you know, be paid. Um, so uh, to add on to what, what uh, Sam was saying, I think with one of the skills necessary is, is, you know, obviously having a background in, in, in managing people and understanding that if you're not trying to be hands-on, that's got to be where your strongest at is, is, is all your employees, whether you're scaling or you're just doing one, you still have to have a real strong management handle because, you know, running through your running through managers, it just costs so much money and so much pain. Yeah. yeah, I want to go back just because something that Sam said kind of shook me a little bit. He mentioned like school ground bully type situation. Were you talking about the park manager or just some dude who's like acting like he owns the park? No, yeah, I, I was actually referring to uh, some some guy who uses intimidation. I mean, we we've had we've had that over and over. Um, so a lot of times if we, if we know going into even underwriting, like, you know, let's, we get a deal in contract and we, we already understand, Hey, this is probably a situation where there isn't much management like Glenn was referring to, which is so critical. Then, then kind of what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out, okay, who's in charge, like right. who, who's in charge, what, what kind of drug ring are they running? Right. I mean, we've got Bob number two, Bob number two, <laughs> you know, yeah. Thinks he's the manager, but he also thinks he's the mafia boss. And it's, uh, yeah. you know. So like, so, so it's very much like, oh man, it sounds sketchy. <laughs> it sounds really sketchy. Uh, uh, well, you remember how, Mosey? Remember Mosey from my book, Jason? Yes. Um, yeah. so, so Mosey was fresh out of jail, right? And, and I mean, like literally fresh out of, of a five-year stint. And uh, he, he had not been out 24 hours and he was the scariest person I've ever seen in my life. Okay. 
Um, but my the, the in my park, I like there they, there was already all these knuckleheads in there getting together to like overthrow the the leadership of the park and you know mutiny right and for for a guy like Mosey who's very much like should be living in the park um, he was able to kind of take control and 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 really relate with those people there calm them the hell down kick out the bad ones retain the good ones. And, and he was great. He was such a great guy. He, he sometimes tried to run a little ring every now and then of something, but you know, he was, uh, you know, he, he was such a great guy, you know, until he passed and he was a dear friend of mine. Uh, but if, if he wasn't my friend and he moved in that park, he would have ran that park and, and I would have been the miserable guy. Wait, this was a friend of yours. This guy was a friend of yours before he got out of jail. No, no, no. He was introduced to me by, by a mutual friend the day he got out of jail. He needed a place to stay. And, you know, he's, he had a daughter and, and some other things that he had to just make sure that he could, you know, be a good boy about. And he, like, I, he saw, I saw right through his soul and just, just like, we had this amazing talk and I don't know what inside him. He said, okay, but I guess I was down and out and desperate and, and he was, you know, the right man at the right time. Um, and man, I took a chance crazy. with him. I gave him a free place and, and he lived there until he died, you know, unfortunately, but uh, he, he was, he was such a good dude. And then when he died is when I found that other old guy who was 78. You know, his name was also Glenn. Uh, and, and he managed the park for me after, you know, after Mosey. <laughs> you know? That's nuts. I, I, you know, when you talk about the crime aspect, are park owners liable for any of that? Or is it just like any neighborhood? Like people do what they do. Depends, right, Sam? Depends, you know, there's negligence. Then park yeah, owners right. responsible for it, for sure, you know? Yeah. If, yeah. if, what would you know, that consist of? Take me through that. What is what would be considered negligent in in that criminal space? Like just not caring. So, so like if, if a tenant gets reported numerous times and you don't do anything about it, and then that person ends up being, you know, something bad happens, I would imagine there's a civil suit there waiting for you from from the the, the victims in that in that scene. Um, Sam's probably got some other, you know, some other things that you'd be, you know, liable for, but I mean, that, that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. You know, there's uh, in, in California, there's, uh, there's some laws around, uh, you know, just kind of how, how well you maintain the park and, and all of that, that, that you have to look at as well. Um, well, we're giving our tenants, you know, uh, uh, a, a safe place to stay. It says it in our leases, you know, they, they have the right, if they're paying their rents, they have a right to, to a peaceful life there, you know? Um, and so that's it, kind of the management's fault. If the, if, if there's some, you know, you know, roughnecks that are in the park creating, you know, challenges for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, so just talking about this one that I, I was thinking of where we had a lot of criminal issues when we, when we bought it, um, we, we see this a lot. We'll, we'll buy a community and, you know, what you want to see in your pro forma is like, okay, you know, it's 50% occupied and, you know, we want to get to 65 year one or year two and, you know, so on and so forth. Usually the first six to 12 months, if it's, if there's some criminal element, the occupancy goes down, right? right? <laughs> because we're, we know that we can't move in the people we want to move in until we get the people out that, that mm. shouldn't be, that, um, and so, so anyway, yeah, just depending on what's going on, we, we want it. And this is like, this is a big deal to us. And, and, um, so we're, we're pretty family oriented. Um, 
my brother and I both, you know, he, he, he's my CTO for the company and, and, uh, and just really, I mean, it's pretty family focused company. Um, and so we think about the families and we think about the kids, especially, uh, we, we have something we call the bus test, which is, I'm going to go back to middle school again. Maybe, maybe it's just a scarring experience for me. I'm not really sure, but, um, but you know, riding the middle school bus, right. could be a traumatic experience. And if you're, if you're getting picked up or dropped off, in front of a house or in front of a community that you're embarrassed of, like that's just a hard thing to do as a, as a 12 year old. Right. So, so to us, like we're passing the bus test. If the kids get off the bus in front of our community and they're, and they're proud to live there, they're, they're not ashamed to live there. And I think if we're doing that, then these other, it means we're creating a safe environment. Like we, you know, we put up a lot of lighting. We use these solar street lights that we've, kind of developed um and and we just we believe in lighting up a community we believe in in putting up uh, privacy fencing if you know eliminating trespassing uh we'll do gates you know you know what whatever we just want it to be a safe place for 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 work people working families and for the kids i love uh, that thank you if we do that (laughs) yeah no if we do that then the other stuff kind of takes care of itself yeah i mean you bought some parks you bought some parks in some pretty rough spots, well located, but in some some pretty tough spots. I think I've sold you one or two of them in the past, you know. And you know, to see how you're able to turn some of those, it's an impressive feat within itself, you know, because uh, you know they're they're not the easiest things to turn, even you know, even for the best of them. Well, I think it yeah. goes back to a, a philosophy that a lot of entrepreneurs have that if you do the right thing, the money will come. Oh, right. Yeah. Always. Seems what it is. I mean, apparently, always. unless if you're trying to be a shiitake farmer, apparently, no, you can do all the right things in the world as a shiitake farmer, which I used to be, right? And uh, uh, I could have made luck. <laughs> yeah, the farming is a tough racket, man. Farming is a little tougher. <laughs> you got to be doing so much scale to make money at farming. Yeah. Um, so when we're thinking about other skills, I, I want to go back. If you could go back to your first year in, what is something that you would have told first year you? So, okay. I, w- one thing that I'd say one mistake we made early on is we underestimated the cost of bringing in new homes. It's it's very expensive. I mean, sure. if you if you've got a park where you've got empty lots, you know, you kind of look at that like, oh, well, you can get your financing over here and blah blah. But at the end of the day, like probably those pedestals need to be replaced. Probably mm-hmm. there needs to be some work on the water sewer connections there might need to be some grading there. Anyway, the list goes on and it's just expensive to, to get those lots prepped and then to move the homes in and skirt them and put decks on and, and get them connected and, and all the rest of it. Um, so it's that's, fun, that's it's funny you say that. We, it, yeah. it, it, it's funny you say it. Cause like in my head, I was thinking to myself, it, if I would tell myself anything, it'd be go back and raise more capital, you know, because there's going to be so much capex you didn't even know to, to even ask about, you know, um, and, and that's kind of, kind of what you're saying here. It's like, you know, it's, it's easy to underestimate on, on, you know, on the infill side of things. It's, 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 and every year it's more expensive, right? I mean, goodness, like the cost yeah. of homes now, the cost of skirting now, the cost of lumber yeah. now, you know, I mean, it's, and, and soon when wages go up, if they go up, it sounds like they might go up to $15 an hour across, you know, across the boards at some point in the next X amount of years, that's, yeah. that's going to further drive just these costs of, of the infill. Uh, and, and hopefully it all pays for itself and everything, but it, it still is, it's not, you know, we used to think 
when I used to broker in the beginning and, and we would bring, you know, a vacant, uh, a, a, a park of some vacant lots, there was no value associated with that vacant lot. And the cost of bringing that home in, you know, you're probably going to bring in a junker home and spend five, $10,000 on it. So, you know, there wasn't a lot there, but the, the, the site ready stuff was always, eh, it shouldn't cost you more than $5,000, you know, to, to get a site ready. Nowadays, you know, it's to get a site that hasn't been used in a while, it could easily be $15,000, you know, yeah. or more, um, you know, yeah. to new development sites, you know, $25,000, $30,000 a site right now, you know, and that's before you have a home there. So it, it's bring more capital would be one, one thing I think you need to know as, as a guy, you know, trying to, to get into this business is you can never have too much capital for this business. You keep raising money unless if you're using your own money, but if you're trying to scale like, like Sam has done, I think you got to keep raising more money because it's hard because the payoff doesn't come to how many, how many lots before you started feeling successful, Sam? Oh, you mean like under our umbrella? Under your, under your belt, under the management, how many lots did it take for you guys to start to even be able to really make a buck and start feeling like it was a real business? Well, <laughs> let me, let me put it this way, Glenn. So we, so we, we recently crossed 4,000 lots. And and I wasn't able to draw a salary until a few weeks ago. You're not the first person I mean, to tell me that, Sam. <laughs> no, so. because it's like every time I'm like, okay, is now is is now the time I get to start paying myself? Right. Nope. Nope. We gotta, you know, we gotta hire this over here. We gotta do, you know, we just opened an office in Knoxville, Tennessee, and because yep. uh, you keep so, reinvesting back into the business, and you do. And it's, you do. Costs are higher, and and the rent growth isn't as fast as as the pro forma you know made it look like, and all this kind of stuff. And that's it's a hard you know the young guys say oh if I could just get to a thousand unit, and I, and I think to myself oh you poor sucker you're going to be so bought in by the time you get to a thousand units it's you're just going to say find two thousand units. But the number most people tell me that have been doing this for a while that have a significant thing is something like three thousand units really before they start can start taking a breath and thinking like, Hey, maybe I do want to stay on this career path. You're so deep into it. You got no options about going somewhere else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't disappear now for sure. Yeah. You had to create your own, your whole uh, infrastructure for management and regional managers and all that. I'm guessing, right. You didn't buy a company that you just bought the infrastructure. You built this from scratch, right? Yeah, that that's true. And, and I was thinking about that because of Jason's question about, you know, kind of what, what skills and we, and, and Glenn, you mentioned kind of people management. And I totally, totally agree with that. Uh, one thing. So what we do, we, we have our onsite, our, we call them community managers and we pay them more than almost anybody I know. I mean, especially for like, you know, Phoenix City, Alabama, or, you know, you know, Greenville, mm -hmm. North Carolina. That's, we just bought in Phoenix City, Alabama. We, that's where our warehouse that's is. That's where the, the warehouse is. Facility. That's where the hemp ah. processing facility is. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, interesting. Well, Crazy. yeah, that, that's uh, a couple of mobile home parks there. But but what, what we do is we we try to empower and enable those community managers. Like we, so we pay them more, but we also expect a lot more. So we feel like for an extra $10,000 a year, the value that we get out of the reporting that they do, the mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're helping to manage all these capital projects that we're doing. Um, you know, we have them in, we've got all sorts, we're built on the Google platform and, and, and they're uploading photos and videos every week and they're, and they've got these forms and reports and, you know, all this stuff that kind of feeds back to us. So we have a good idea of kind of what's going on and where the, where the uh, pressure points are and that sort of thing. And so 
kind of building all that out has been um, like, that's been my focus for the company is really putting, putting the, the, the power in the hands of those community man- managers. Cause like Glenn says, that's like, without them, it all falls apart. Without <laughs> them, you're climbing under trailers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, nothing's going to go right if, if you don't have those, the right people in place there. Um, and, and if you find the right person, they want to do those things. They just, they need the tools to do it. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just give you one example. So we, uh, we're in 13 different states now. Every state has its own nuances with regards to, you know, are we doing a lease option? Is it a contract for deed? Is it 60 day notice? Is it 90? Is it 30? I mean, you know, there's a whole litany of different things that are different for each state. And so, what we did is we have this with our attorney, we built this template uh, for a contract. And then our, but what our manager does is, you know, they've got somebody that wants to buy a new home. They come into the office, they have, we have a, a wiki site, they go on there and they just spell out this simple form. Hey, it's this unit in this park. Here are the residents. Uh, here's, you know, lot rent, all that rest. So they feed in a few fields. It auto generates the contracts, puts them in DocuSign. And the and the and the tenant right there can just sign nice. on the spot, right? You know, and, and, and you it's, system, it's that you sort of thing. Like, yeah, you systemize. You you reduce the friction so that because at the end of the day, that person coming to that office signing that lease is super super important for us. Like that, yeah. there's a lot of money tied up in making that happen over and over and over again. And if it's a two hour process where people are faxing. Nope. Uh, you know, contracts back and forth and calling so-and-so and they're not, you know, they're out on vacation nope. and I need approval. And it's like, no, 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 no. We want to remove all of that. We want this thing to be automated and efficient. And so yeah. that, that's, that's what we try to do. Yeah. Critical. The, the, the operational side, the, the systemizing the operational side, it's, that's, that's a critical element on the scale. You know, it's, uh, you get the management of people, you got your, your deficiencies within your operations that you have to be maximizing. And, you know, you get those two things right, you'll probably be good at any business you ever get involved in. But specifically with our business, it, it's it's fundamentally important and just absolutely critical. You know, it's uh, it, it, getting, get, what would be another good, what would be one good last one to talk about as, as, as a third most important thing? What would you suggest, Sam? Well, I guess I have to remember the first two before I think of the third one. Uh, but, uh, management of people. And then yeah. the, the the systems operation. Optimizing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think on top of that, it's a uh, I, I, boy. There's there's a few disparate kind of different thoughts. No, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Of, no, I'm, I mean I'm trying to think if there's if there's one more really critical one. Um, you know, I would say for our business, certainly. Uh, I don't know if this is part of the systemizing, but, but um, reporting like that, that's something, you know, we, we have investors, right. And, and, and we, we've, we have a duty to, to them. And so we feel like reporting is really a critical part of this. So I'll just give you an example here is when COVID hit, uh, we were super concerned as probably every one of our investors was, are we going to be able to collect rent? Like what, what's what's about to happen here? And I don't know that we know the answer to that question yet because there's some troubling things that are happening right now. But um, 
anyway, we, we, we made a commitment a couple weeks after kind of lockdowns happened. You know what? We're going to send out an email every week to every investor with whatever they're invested in. Hey, here's, here's the delinquency. Here's what the, and we're going to chart it. And, and we want to know, and we're sure you want to know. Right. So, so that's what we did. We just, every single week since then, we, we send this email out. Um, and, you know, we're even trying to optimize that a little bit and show some different reporting there that, that maybe is more meaningful or whatever. So but communication with, you, with, with your communication. investors. There you go. Communication with your investors. Absolutely. And And it's not even just the investors. Yeah. Yeah. Data and communication. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, Jason, you were asking about um, kind of the organization uh, of our company and had a great conversation. You you guys know Ryan Smith at Elevation Capital. Um, I had heard him on a podcast and he talked about uh, kind of what they, how they structured their organization and, and, Kind of flattening it out, and and I was, it just really struck a chord with me because we were right at that point where it was like, hey, we've got these tools in place so that we can have efficient communication throughout the company, but but you know people need managers, right? And it's like, you know, how do we do this? Um, but we kind of made a, a decision after really kind of looking into things to to not try not to build a bureaucracy, right? We, in other words, I so we we have some chat tools and different things that are part of Google built, but, but we, we get everybody trained and up to speed on this stuff. And I tell my managers, you, you should feel comfortable sending a chat to anybody in the company at any time. Right. And, and there's an expectation that if you send it to me, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to you right away. And the same thing goes in reverse. Like I, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at some data and I'm like, and I got to, I got to understand what's happening here. I don't want to call a regional manager who calls a district manager who calls a community. Like right. I want, I'm going to chat that community manager right now. And I want to like, I want yeah. some feedback. Like what's, what's going on. You, you so, want to be able to keep very fluid in this business with the communication from the top to the bottom. Cause it's, it's a team. It's not a hierarchy. It's really a team. Yeah. And it's like being on a soccer team. Every position is available to help the next position out there. Who's ever in the best spot to help helps. Whoever picks up the slack, picks up the slack and, and pass the ball around so you can have good communication and, and just makes life easier. So I think that's a great topic to, to end with. It's just, you know, communication, uh, you know, on, on top of professional, you know, hiring good managers and really just honing in on who's the right person to put at this part, to manage this part, to, to meet my expectations and goals uh, and, and ending with, this uh, communication, be able to clearly uh, explain to your team what you know what the goals are and what 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 the, the steps necessary are. I think that's and, I think that's great stuff. And don't be afraid of data. A lot of people are like scared to know the reality. You oh, have God, to yeah. know the reality. You Chicken cannot be scared. You know, of you know you, you stick your head in the sand and just pretend it's okay. Can't tell you how many guys you know, especially in the 15, 16, 17 era. How many guys just, you know, refuse to pay attention to the reality of how badly their parts were performing and, 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 you know, forcing them into almost a distress sale at that point, you know, it was, uh, you know, crazy stuff. And so, you know, it's it's nice seeing a a higher level of talent really coming into this industry and really cleaning up a lot of these, you know, opportunistic stuff that happened during the, during the great recession with a lot of the the park turnover that happened. 
Um, What I've noticed is the large number of really great people entering the space. And I'm having a lot, we're having a lot of great conversations with people who aren't pieces of shit, right? They're nice. (laughs) They don't want to do bad. They want to do good. They want to like, I loved what Sam said about the school bus test. I will remember that forever because that should be the litmus test for everybody because that's so true. That feeling of like, I'm not as good. I mean, that is the beginning of inequalities and like lack of self-esteem and all of that stuff. So yeah. Sam, thank you for doing that. It's so awesome. If, if you guys are interested in learning more about uh, Sam's communities, go to saratogacommunities.com. That's where you can see all the houses and stuff. And then you have saratogagroup.com. If you're interested in being part of Sam's amazing organization, growing as an in- investors, and you, you're looking for just great people to, to join the team and be aware of you guys, right? That, that's it, Jason. Absolutely. Kind of hopefully catch the vision of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, you laid it out out some healthy returns for your investors, I'm guessing, you know, so because you're growing leaps and bounds and it's pretty fantastic to watch. And I would say as as an investor myself, when when a CEO doesn't take a payment for 10 years, man, that is honorable. So I wish you the best of luck, Sam. I hope this is the first of many on behalf of Glenn. This is the mobile the mobile home park expert podcast. I'm Jason and we'll see you next time.